up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to uh, another episode of the Live Free Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. This is actually part two of the Joshua Zimmerman interview. The first part is episode 15. If you haven't heard the that episode, it might be good to go back and listen to that one first and then pick up here on part two. We did the interview downtown uh, during... Uh, we actually were filming for my documentary, so we did a sort of podcast slash documentary filming the interview we did down at the noble experiment the speakeasy downtown again i want to thank those guys for giving us the space to to work with for the day but besides that you know you'll get an idea if you listen to the first episode what me and and josh you're talking about and and this episode seems to focus quite a bit on politics and religion which was a sort of a topic being covered in the film so so we went over a lot of that stuff and not like that's any different from what's discussed on the podcast typically but besides that i want to i just want to plug before we start the show, uh, the Silent Comedy, who Joshua Zimmerman is the bass player and lead singer for, their tour is coming up starting on February 4th, so they're actually leaving in a few days. So I just wanted to give out some of the dates for their shows coming up. So if you're in any of these cities, you can make sure to get your tickets and, and, and check these guys out there. They're an amazing live act, a tremendous energy, you know, extremely entertaining it's one of those types of shows where even if you don't know all the lyrics to the songs that you can go and still have a really great experience and uh, enjoy yourself so i highly recommend getting out there and and seeing them live because it's truly uh, an experience the tour starts on february 4th in ventura they're going to be playing at the ventura theater with ryan bingham who is going to be on tour with them throughout February. They're going to be gone from February 4th up to the end of the month. If you want to check them out, they're going to be in, obviously I said they, they start the show in Ventura, or start the tour, they start the tour in Ventura. They, they'll head into Los Angeles on the 5th to play the El Rey Theater. Then they're back in the hometown, their hometown of San Diego to play the House of Blues downtown and then they they jump back up the coast up to san luis obispo to play the downtown brewing company into santa barbara to play at muddy waters the next show is in santa cruz at the rio theater then on february 11th they'll be in san francisco to play the great american music hall and uh, i know that there's been a number of san francisco artists on the show and um, i'm sure some people from the bay area listen so make sure you get out there and support my san diego brothers uh while they're they're up in in the lovely bay area then they head up into visalia and sacramento chico up into oregon and so on um make sure you check out the silentcomedy.com to to pick up all the rest of the tour dates and you can get all the links there of where to buy tickets and check out all the stuff they got going on they just got a new website going so they're they're putting that all together now hopefully the silent comedy are going to be in town in May, I'm doing a solo show at the Subtext Gallery in Little Italy, and I want to get them involved in a sort of music art performance piece thing. So I haven't even talked to them about it. Well, I actually, I talked to their drummer about it. I talked to him about it last night. I randomly saw him at a show, and he seemed interested. So I guess I should probably write an email today, maybe. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, here is part two of the Joshua Zimmerman people get attached to it and it's something that they need and i bet we find that in bands too like you need to and probably even in preachers right and those preachers that get crazy and like get greedy and have to 
have the biggest congregation. Because the, the addiction to what we were talking about, the same thing about what you feel with the applause from the stage or whatever happens with preachers as well. Mm -hmm. Because you get addicted to that. And that's actually a whole other can of worms. Because not <laughs> yeah. only do you get the crowd adoration thing, which can be really unhealthy. You see it in kings or in, uh -huh. in presidents or generals or everybody. But you also get this, the entire congregation is implicitly or explicitly asking you to put a hand into their life. And, and change stuff to God. And, and change stuff around God. and it gets really uh, you know I mean it grew up in that whole world it can get real dark you know because that stuff plays into into I think aspects of of human nature that are dangerous playthings mm -hmm. you know um, but it might be a, a, just an, a testament to the fact that we're we're separating ourselves from our tribal communities that our, our old monkey brains are still attached yeah. to. Yeah, well, that's an interesting thing. Like, they, all the research has been done about uh, community units when they get above 150 people is when a lot of social problems start to, to manifest. Yeah. Because you get out of that, and guys like Plato and those dudes said about their philosophies on living together and all that, that uh, ideally it all works in a community that's small enough where everyone feels a sense of personal connection and responsibility to everyone else. Mm -hmm. So you go like, oh, I can't, I can't screw you over with this piece of legislation because I know you and I know your kids yeah. and your kids know me and I know your wife and all, all this whatever, you know, all these levels of connection. Yeah. Um, and it's the same problem. thing, yeah, it's the same thing in these communities. So there's companies like uh, 3M, I believe is one of them, where every time a plant gets to 150 people, they make a new one. And so they've got tons and tons of facilities, and they're all that small. Hmm. And then, and no one has job titles, too, and they've tried to do this whole... Well, they say, too, like, that's the amount of, like, people that we could actually remember, like, store yeah. in our, our mental Ooh. address book. And it makes you wonder about the kind of like tribal living and, and how that maybe is possibly healthier than, um, I think part of some of the problems with this country is it's more of a continent, you know? And the issues, we see it when we tour, the issues in, that are important to someone in Kansas that are like their life or death, this means so much to my life issues, are not really a part of my life at all. Yeah. Uh -huh. you know. And it's weird in this modern day and age, too, that we're able to be conscious of those things. Yeah. So think back to, like, pre-1800s. You don't know what's going on in England or, or what kind of strife is happening in yeah. India unless somebody wrote you a letter and put it on a ship yeah, and, and sent it to you. Yeah, and break loose and you won't know about it for three months. And there's something to that, that ignorance is bliss idea that there really is some issues with us knowing as much as we do, like in terms of the stress levels and... Totally. and I've actually had this conversation with Mike Giant before, like he, used, he would bring up, and we talked about it in San Francisco, about how like if you live on, in this valley, you don't really know the strife and things that are happening in the two valleys over, so those things don't really affect your life. And we were kind of relating it to how, we, how, I'm, like how we're supposed to be thinking about Afghanistan and what happens in Iraq. Like we have no real conscious ideas of what's going on but we still know about it and we still like have yeah. pain about it and try to figure to out how to fix it or yeah, you know yeah we're supposed to make judgments on what's going on over there not knowing what it's like to live 
day-to-day life in that place at all, you know. It, it frustrates me. I hear people make a lot of statements about, you know, we were talking about earlier, like India or some of these countries, and you go like, oh, that's a statement from someone who has been middle class in the United States their whole life. Like, you do not know what it's like to live on that street, you know, and wade through sewage. And we, we, we see that now, like, having middle, upper class white people try to talk about what it's like to grow up black in the inner city, right? Like, there's, there's, they pretend like maybe they, oh, just go get a job, just do this thing, and like, I don't feel sorry for you because you, just because of this thing, I, Go do what you need to do, right? Yeah. But there are all those like obstacles and, and different stresses and, and, and things that get in certain people's way that, that a lot of other people don't recognize. Yeah. And on my podcast, I've been really trying to push that race issue. Like, like we have to have conversations like this and talk about what it's like to be yeah. black in America or Mexican in, in California. And yeah. I'm a poor white guy, but you know, like yeah. seemingly I grew up in the suburbs, white guy, very little problems. Perceivably, you know, by the ratio yeah. in comparison or whatever. That's uh, the thing that ends up happening with the the band and community. That's what makes it more important to me than just like playing pop songs, because whatever it is that does happen in those rooms is what ends up affecting people. And at the end of the day. It's about storytelling a lot to us, but it's also about having some effect on people personally and on a large scale. And with the, the lack of people got something out of a uh, religious experience, a lot of it having to do with that communal participation. And then we've seen that like the younger generation who maybe have never gone to church have never experienced that. So once they do, it's powerful. You get in a room, you know, in a little room like the Casbah with everyone singing the same thing Mm -hmm. and it it affects you. And for a lot of people that may be the first time that's ever happened. And then they get hooked on it. And we get hooked on it in a sense of like we kind of need it to survive. You know, but other people get hooked on it because they start to feel that same thing. Like they don't have to be on stage playing to get that catharsis. Well, that's like during like gasoline when it hits to like the crescendo and everyone starts singing, like the hair on my arm stands up. Yeah. And like that song will even bring me to tears, yeah. right? Like, and, and you sense everybody else feeling that same yeah. thing. And there's that power in it. And, and at, if you try to sit, you know, in the van when we're on tour after a show, and analyze that all down, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And that's what we love about it. Yeah. You can't put your finger on that thing and go, this is why it's great, or follow this formula and you'll get there. But when that moment hits, you just feel that thing. You go like, I'm glad that I'm here right now. You know? So I always talk about it being like a Zen meditative phase, just because I don't have a, a good defining set of words to use. I wonder if maybe the crowds also get into that phase, right? Because if you're in a crowd, you're not really thinking about a whole lot besides what's happening in front of you. Yeah. And you're kind of focusing your mind into a, a sort of uh, mantra, sort of yeah. phase where you're like... And the rhythms have something to do with it. Uh-huh. You know, it's like every kind of ritualistic practice has incorporated drums, uh-huh. you know, for thousands of years. And there's something to do with that. Now acoustical physics the acoustical physics they have these um, theories about alpha waves and the way that that sound waves that start to like train your brain to get in a certain cycle and you enter Uh like a trance state yeah and um 
Well, because get this, I get that from painting, right? Yeah. Because I, I paint the same painting over and over again. It's just a brushstroke, a brushstroke, a brushstroke. Just looks different each yeah. time, right? And I'll, I'll do a whole piece and go back and look and be like, whoa, I just made that thing. And there's a part of me that gets disconnected, yeah. right? Because I'm, I'm in that meditative brushstroke, brushstroke, brushstroke. And I, I, part, I sort of lose uh, that relative consciousness yeah. that we have in everyday waking. And, and you, can get out, you can get out of yourself, you know? Like I always tell people for shows, sometimes they'll go, oh, that was crazy, you did this one thing. And I'll be like, oh, really? Oh, really? Well, that's what's interesting. Like no idea, you when know? you're back in the van, you can't really pinpoint what that, that phase is. The best show is at some point in the, in the peak zone, I can't remember what happened. And you say, in, even with music and singing, and like maybe when you go into like your freestyle things yeah. that you do, like comedians say it a lot. Like they'll get on stage and just get in the zone, and all of a sudden you're just flowing, and you don't yeah. know where it's coming from. Yeah. And a lot of people have the subscribe to the principle that that creativity is something that exists up here, sort of mm -hmm. ethereal sort of thing that we all have uh, radio antennas. Yeah. That connect to that frequency, and you said you you mentioned the wave, the sound frequencies. Yeah, and I you totally know that get. we tune into those certain yeah. waves and patterns that 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 do something to our senses. I think that I get that that view because you feel it, and I'm sure you feel it in the same way. At certain points, you feel like those wires connected, and mm -hmm. something jumps. Yeah. You know, like the electricity jumps all of a sudden. Like every factor came into the right alignment and then it takes on a power that's greater than your own mm -hmm. thing. And that's what I feel in, that's why I love performance so much because it's palpable like when it happens and you can't necessarily make it happen. Uh -huh. Sometimes yeah. it just doesn't yeah. connect, uh -huh. but when you feel it, all of a sudden like that's my favorite feeling is when all of a sudden I know like now I'm not pushing a train car, like I'm on it, like yeah. I'm riding it. Everyone's in tune. And I don't know where the track goes. Yeah. And that's the best part because then it's like anything can happen at this moment. Yeah. And whatever it is, uh, you know, it's, it's good that we're all I here. Think I think I take some um, sort of influence or, or get some inspiration from that because for a long time I've wanted to make an art band, right? Yeah. So like because <clears throat> I feel like music and, and being able to have a band, like you get to tell a lot more about a story than, than say painting or, or like the sort of art forms that I partake in that a lot of times it's not, it's more, it's, it's so much more metaphorical that it's kind of indecipherable to anybody but the creator, right? Which I, I know with writing you find the same thing, but it's easy, I feel like it's sometimes it's easier for people to relate to yeah. common words that they understand and, yeah. and maybe like, I always find my own stories in other songwriter songs, right? When I, when I really like something, it's because I relate it to my own story. Yeah. And like, I, that's how I like people to, to view my work too. Like, I don't want you to have to know what the, yeah. what the whole piece is about. I, like, I find about, your own thing yeah. in that. I feel that about your work, that's one thing I love about it is when I see it, I think about each thing and go like, this person maybe that's portrayed, like there's so much going on about what's their story and whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I feel the pull to know, but then I never want to ask about it <laughs> yeah. because of that exact concept is like yeah. uh, part, of, part of taking that snapshot of, of all like history and all these feelings for you 
is like you're playing with people in that sense. Uh -huh. So I'm never going to go like, dude, what's the story behind yeah. that? But I want to know. And, and that's part of what keeps you coming back is yeah. you're like, I want to keep seeing that and catching like sometimes it's the, I've noticed with your pieces, sometimes it's the eyes or like whatever. They could be looking in a certain direction where all of a sudden you feel like something's like there's this story, there's all this emotion happening. Where like yeah. if you would have painted the eyes looking one other direction, I would have just been like, oh, that's cool. And that's yeah. sort of, you know, like when I'm looking for reference material and imagery and things, those things pick me, right? Yeah. Like I'm not out there saying, uh, I need to find this portrait that has a three-quarter turn angle that's, you know, perfect suit, this thing. Like it's literally like I could look at a, a, a hundred sheets of paper with a picture on it and the one will stand out. And I'll know that that's, that's the story. I find some story in them that relates to my story from an action, from a, from a, you know, a photograph and turn that, that idea into a, a, a piece of art, right? Totally. To, to tell my own story, to get out my stresses and yeah. all my therapeutic all needs because it's really selfish. It's really all about me. And then once I'm done and through the process and, and getting out what I need to do, that releasing that pressure valve, yeah. if you will, then after that it's for everybody else. Yeah. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. You know? I wonder if you do you have that same sort of disconnect with your songs? Like with I know the, you were saying with the music, yeah, the performance the, is something different, but with the recorded songs, yeah. yeah. Once it gets out of your hands, then like I don't even want to hear it anymore generally. And sometimes when I do hear it I'm like, ah, I don't like that. Like it's supposed <laughs> to just go out and sprinkle over the fields and the whatever. <laughs> like it's not to keep and hold on to, yeah. um, but the performance nice. is different. Yeah, performance is kind of like graffiti too, right? Totally. You know, it's just like a temporary thing that's only going to be here yep. for this split moment in time. And if you're not there to be a part of it, yeah, then it's experiential. It, yeah. yeah, and that's part of the beauty of it, you know. So I did your guys. I did the your guys' second album cover. I did the artwork for it, right? Yeah. Second album. Yeah. It's hard. It, well, I, the, the second album we released. The EP, in a, in the a, EP for yeah. the second album. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard to tell how many albums we've done because the first ones were so DIY. It's yeah. Like, do you count them? Do you not count them? But basically, yeah, the second one that we released in a, like, you can pick it up and buy it sense. Um, yeah. That was the EP. So you, you, did the, you did Sunset Stables first, right? Yeah. Then. Then the self-titled EP. Self-titled. and the one with the. The, the red piece. I don't know, is there a name for that one? Yes, but I don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> so, uh, can you talk about how, where you, you, you saw my imagery? How did yeah. we get connected? Rich Cook, who is the cooker, who is, who is a connector of oh, people, yeah. you know? He's like the connector piece in Legos that you need to put a building together a lot. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he was a big appreciator of your work for a long time and and owns a lot of pieces uh -huh. so I was at his house and he actually told me in his in his rich way you gotta see Mike Maxwell's stuff <laughs> yeah, was yeah. the first thing but um, it's when I first saw it that that thing really clicked in my head of just going like whoa you know the first one I actually saw was one that he has two guys one has a gas mask on i believe and one has a, a hat yeah in kind a of a desert piece. landscape yeah and then i saw the red piece a little bit later we were just struck by people have said about our music a lot that it's like 
takes old themes and old instruments and old concepts and puts them in this blender and releases this weird, semi-unique, modern whatever. Yeah. And that's what I felt visually looking at your stuff is like, Historical themes, obviously, were popping out all over, but then really intensive color and techniques you wouldn't normally associate with that. And um, we were just affected by it. And in, a, in that way, it was like we use as a barometer a lot for everything we appreciate, just how it hits you. Yeah. And the first time I saw that, that red piece, especially that ended up becoming the cover of the EP, it just hit me in that, like, whoa, yeah. this is, you know... Affecting, we were actually really nervous to broach the issue of wanting to use it for the thing because every visual artist has different philosophies about the like use of the work, and so we were pretty nervous to ask you about it. But I'm, I'm well, I think down. once we met, you know, we had a rapport right away, right? Like it seemed like we kind of had known each other before in totally. some some fashion. It was a, it seemed like an easy mix, and the the style of your guys' music. And the work that I make, it, it seemed like a really interlaced, easy thing to do. Yeah. So then, after we did, we did. I did the third album, yeah. or <clears throat> two and a half yeah. album, two and a half. Um, and that I did a portrait of all you guys, but just in your clothes. I took out all the all the yeah. the faces and the bodies and stuff. And that was fun because the first one was just using. Uh, just using a piece that we really liked, and then the second uh -huh. one was more of like you had uh, more of a participatory role in it. Yeah, which was cool. But I still only had a week. Yeah, you motherfuckers. I know. <laughs> we do that to everyone. Every time I called. Give me the, two weeks next time. Yeah, two the, weeks. The duplication people is always that. I'm going, <laughs> you it in faster than you can humanly do it. Yeah. Sorry. So I noticed uh, in the new album, which uh, has been out for. Less than a year. Less than a year. And a little surprise uh, limited edition one came yeah. out that had the sketches for your guys' portrait yeah. on it, which I need to get a copy of totally. still. Um, I noticed in this album that, uh, and I've noticed it in other albums, but this one in particular, there's a level of spirituality that sort of seems to come out to the forefront a little bit more than in the past. I've kind of gone through a, a number of different phases spiritually. For the past six years, I've basically been an atheist. And just recently, I came to realize that some of the pathways that I took to become an atheist were kind of narrow, uh, done on a narrow view, right? Or looked through in a very narrow view. And what had happened was, you know, I grew up Catholic, which is the first step to being an atheist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, then I moved on to being an agnostic, not like, thinking, well, I don't really know what's going on. I don't really think there's a God. I think these guys are kind of blowing smoke up my ass, right? So in, in Western society, we're often taught, you know, we're always taught about the Greek myths and uh, the Egyptian myths and these things, but they're always myths, not meant to be taken seriously, are sort of just given as like a history lesson, right? But they're always really informatively presented as being false, right? Not uh, lacking truth just a fairy tale. And I came to realize that the story of Jesus Christ, which is most of us are, are raised um, Christian in, in this Western society, right? 
that the stories that, that were being told were the same stories that had been told throughout humans' entire history. So you've been telling these same stories over and over again, but with different figureheads to, to fit the culture that the story was being told to. And we talked about it earlier about how, how religions melt into one another and become this sort of mass conglomerate. But my mind at the time was like, well, if this thing is false, and this thing is the same thing as this thing, meaning these old mythologies and modern-day Christianity, then modern-day Christianity must be a fairy tale as well. So I, I realized these, these, yeah. these stories are the same thing, and if one's wrong, then the other one has to be wrong too, right? So I go into it thinking that, you know, I, I went into atheism with a real literal sense of religion. So because I didn't believe the literal uh, ideas of religion, it made me think that all religions were just a bunch of lies. And I realized that was really narrow. And just bef prior to that, I had really got into Darwinism and, and, and biology and was understanding evolution on a, on a broader scale than what was taught to, to us in high school. And I was like, well, fuck it, we're just animals. That we're just here for this split moment in time. Without this vessel, nothing can exist. I have no sort of belief in a spirit or, or any of that sort of thing. And what changed me, what, what, what caused, put a, a stick in the spoke, sort of, was um, science and, and physics, really, which taught me uh, that, that, let's say, energy cannot be created or destroyed. Once I understood uh, a little bit about quantum physics and the makeup of, of all living things being this little small bit of energy, this little even tinier a bit of matter, I came to realize that uh, you know we're all the same thing. So in that, I in my in my minute view of what happens to us in this life, I'm thinking we die, that's it. We fade to black and nothing happens. Now physics comes into my life and all of a sudden I understand that well no we don't really just die. That these energies don't become destroyed because they're no longer in this perceived version of a body, but they do go somewhere. Now, I'm not espousing that they go to heaven to hang out with some bearded dude in the fucking clouds or some shit like that, right? But there's something that does happen, and, and the idea is maybe that we become the one again, you know, that this, this, these energies that make up every single thing, including me, this leather couch, these fake skulls, we're all the same. This desk, this piece of glass, it's still on a, on, a, on a physics level. You take it down to that quantum level, it's still those little balls of, of energy, the atom and whatever exists inside the atom, the quarks and all that crazy shit that, that exists in there. And now I've got to this point where, okay, I've moved beyond atheism because I know that there is something more than just the material world. Because the material world, I, physics has taught me, if I'm to believe physics, that it's really just a perception that my mind makes based on the light and the, the, you know, the energy bouncing, the, the two balls of atoms bouncing off one another in a particular speed, in a particular pattern, make up this table. Yeah. And it just so happens that I, I'm a little bit different frequency, a little bit different pattern, but it's still those same little atoms that are making up my entire being that makes up everything. So in that, I find uh, a spirituality, right? So 
all of a sudden I'm like, well, I'm God, you know? And I, I start to look at religions in a more allegorical sense, as opposed to the literal interpretation of, of Jesus walking on water or all these sorts of things. So I, I, I start to look at religion from a very different standpoint in that I try to look at these stories that are being told as an allegory for living a good life, for having a, a, a quality of life in your everyday existence here on Earth. Some of the ideas, I think, are, are actually uh, pushing people to the idea that you are God. And I think the story of Jesus is, is a perfect example of that, is that we're really an allegory for Jesus. Jesus is the son of God, or is God, and, and is, this, is this everything? that we're supposed to take that in a less literal sense as like some deity impregnated a virgin and created this thing. But it, I think it's more of an idea of saying that, look, at you're this perfect little structure in this perfect little world that's, that's built for us. It, and not, and it, that sort of almost goes back to a sort of Christian mentality, kind of, right, that something's built for us or that this thing is created for us. But I'm, I'm, the I'm even a little bit more... Yeah, but it, yeah, right, right. That's, that's the biggest. But so I'm to a point now where I'm God. I think that I'm God, and I think that you're God. But the, if I take it even a few steps further, like this might, like you all might just be a figment of my imagination that this is this perfect utopia that I've built in my own head, you know, like Matrix style, right? Like because if if we're talking about like perceptions of reality, and and if you don't. If you have no understanding of what my concept of reality is, and I, I mean, there's no way that you could because you're not in my experience, then I start to think, well, maybe I just made you up. Yeah. You know, maybe this whole thing is all this sort of unfolding. Too, which is what we're saying too about having real conversations, because I've wrestled with that concept since I was a little kid, which is I can never be 100% sure that anyone else sees anything in the way that I actually do as well. That like anyone instance, sees like that red. red, you might perceive red as being something totally different. Yeah, exactly. You colorblind people. Yeah, right? and I used to go over that in my head all the time, which was this: like, does anyone actually have my same experience, or am I this this other thing? Um, and that is like an interesting question. If this if this world were a complete fabrication in your own head, though, I would have a bigger dick. <laughs> I think that would be that might be a good spot to, to stop the podcast. I think that that's that, do you feel pretty good about that? Um, let's but no. But those questions are the big things, and when you think about, um, so you know, like I, I'm raised in completely immersed in a Judeo-Christian uh, history. You know, and and worldview and, and methodology. I learned to read reading the Bible at a really yeah, young yeah. age, and it's it's actually a great reading tool because it's hard to pronounce a lot of the stuff that's <laughs> yeah. in there. So you you learn a lot of lessons, but um, and so like that's the the tradition and and the world that I steeped in, and you have a natural a natural uh, reaction to that when you're when you're brought up in it as a young person to want to rebel, just in the ways that we want to rebel against uh, 
against anything that's kind of the status quo in our lives. Yeah. And that's so, an interesting point, too, because yeah. I noticed that my rebellion from religion and a God figure was happening around the same time as I became a more rebellious teen. Yeah. You know, I had always questioned things, but, like, I prayed, you know, before bed or whatever, yeah. a lot of, like, if I needed, like, some extra mental support, you know, or if I wanted, like, to help somebody or something, like, and go through those mental processes just yeah. like I was taught yeah. as a child. Even though at the same time, I'm like, I don't even know what this yeah. is I'm doing this for. It gets kind of embedded in you in ways. I like what you said that, like, being a Catholic is the first step in being an atheist. It's very true. <laughs> and it, uh, Catholicism also supports... It's no coincidence that it supports the idea that each religious separation is really just a retooling of, of the ancient stories mm -hmm. because Catholicism is very literally that. Yeah. And a, a group of guys, it didn't come about organically, a group of guys sat down at a table and transferred uh, polytheism into a different picture. Right. And so it totally is. And with the, with the structure of sainthood and all of that, it's all just Hermes and all yeah. of these different gods who handle different things uh, with less orgies and stuff. And so it is disappointing in a lot of ways. But, you know, it's kind of like Greek mythology. Really this last year I've focused on trying to keep ideas as opposed to beliefs, right? Because when we, when we all of a sudden I believe this thing, it, it tells our mind, all right, protect this belief that we have. We don't want to change. We want to always be correct. We don't want to be proven wrong. And we'll, do, we'll fight to the death to, to preserve our beliefs. I think there's something, there's, it's almost like a next stage of consciousness, like an evolution of consciousness where you're like, okay, I'm not going to get bound to these things because I understand that this world is constantly changing. Even we could look at it in from a scientific point of view. Science is always proving itself wrong. And as creative people, I think we're always proving ourselves wrong because we're trying to improve. So we, we go through these phases of, of writing or, or drawing or whatever, and we figure out new ways to do things. I mean, it is, yeah, that, that is an interesting point, too. And, like, um, that does happen in our minds, and it's, to some extent, probably innate to, like, the human experience. We want to make, we want to make boundaries and defend those boundaries. Mm -hmm. we, want to, we want to claim possessions and retain them, and it, it causes a lot of problems. Uh, something I've discussed with a lot of people is, well, before, before I say that, actually, what I take from the Judeo-Christian tradition is one of the most important concepts in it that I'm thankful for uh, getting, getting uh, introduced to me at a really young age is the separation from perfection. If there's, there's different schools of thought, one of them that's really popular in our, in our kind of like post-industrial affluent age is uh, like individual divinity of the human spirit you know, like intrinsic goodness of man. And it's popular, understandably, because it's pretty, uh, like, self-benefiting. And we it's also, like, easy... Life, yeah, right? like, it's easy to believe, but it, it's frustrating in other ways because it doesn't, uh, it doesn't explain the atrocity and, and roughness of the world, you know. And so something I'm glad that it was instilled in my, my head in as a young person, which I've held and has influenced my view on the world since then, is that mankind is, is relatively fundamentally flawed in ways. Don't necessarily know why that is, per se, and I generally steer away from being 
arrogant enough to say that I know why anything is. <laughs> yeah. But you see it played out time and time again. And, and so I think to myself, looking at the world in that way in, takes a lot of questioning out and a lot of despair out. Yeah. And so like people will say, for instance, that an extremely popularly held view is that uh, religion is a force for negative action in the world, um, cause of war, etc. Um, I get that that point, especially when you read through a history book. But in my view of it, religion is a popular justification for actions yeah, that have yeah, been happening that have been happening regardless. And one thing that you think is is you know some uh, a lot of great thinkers, especially like great communist thinkers and philosophers, kind of took that view and said, well, you know, if you take if you take a deity centered belief system out of society, you focus more on education and equality, we'll, we will transcend into a different, different mode of doing things. And then those guys ended up being atrocious and horrible on their own without, so without a God. Yeah, but they didn't have a God to blame it on, you know. Um, and in a lot of ways, people have just used that as an excuse. Well, I, I for think, excuse. Well, I, I think that's a good point because, and I think I have, I, I could relate that to something modern, right? So, especially just recently with uh, Labor, or not with Labor Day, with um, with uh, Veterans Day, I always make a point to say that that freedom has nothing to do with wars. It has nothing to do with the government. It has nothing to do with a, de a declaration of independence. It's all up here. Freedom exists for each person individually based on what happens up here. And there's that disconnect, right? That it's like, oh, you have your freedom of speech because we killed Nazis. Or because, uh, because we shot up the British in 76, right? But really, that's not the truth. Yeah. That's just what we attach these two things together, just in that, in that same way, saying religions start wars. But really, the, the, what starts wars are uh, resources and, yeah. and the power that, that comes along or, with it. And depending on your worldview, like in my worldview, it's, it's the, the flaws in our makeup that lead to a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas you put two kids in like a sandbox and one of them's gonna hit the other one at some point. Yeah, so like, you know? for, so we're talking about, let's say in modern, our modern times, we're blaming Muslims for, yeah. for all the uh, atrocities in the world. But we're not, we're not making any sort of reference to the type of life that these young kids, without, without justifying their, their evil yeah. doings, we're not talking at all about what happened before that to lead up to cause somebody. Because sure. I, I, we're not just going to go blow up a, a car bomb because we read the Koran. Yeah. I've, I've re I read the Koran. Yeah. I'm not going to go blow anything up. You know what I mean? But yeah. we, we just, just we, we classify things. We're, yeah. And I noticed that with my race conversations on the podcast. No matter what, we're just these creatures that have to fucking put everything in little organized rows so that we can comprehend it. And in this country, we want to say that those conflicts, it's the same thing of, of putting a label on it and then so that we can blame something and have a bad, bad guy. We want to say that it's about color of skin here. It's led to all these whatever. And then uh, some of my, my family is Croatian in origin. The Croatians and the Serbians hate each other. And one of us wouldn't be able to tell the two of them apart. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. so they can't even. It can't even be that easy to yeah. say, "Oh, well, your skin's a different color, so we have these problems." 
and it gets into all these other things. But like, for me uh, as well, what you were saying earlier is really interesting about if you really have this freedom from the whole the whole world is kind of this chess game. Like in chess, my brother and I play each other in chess. The entire thing is threat of action, and we build this huge web around. You won't make this move because if you make this move, then this piece will get taken. I'll take this piece, and it's this whole web. And then I play someone who doesn't have that kind of strategy in chess, and I can't even do it because you're like, "What? You just sacrificed your queen?" They're like, uh, "Yeah, I don't really know." And then, then you can't even play that thing. And I see that true like freedom uh, in in the mind starts to get into a dangerous kind of like thing to people because society is that same chess game and we're built around you want me to like you and I want you to like me so I am going to cut my hair or take a shower and whatever and because if you don't then you won't like me and whatever and all this stuff and we build up these entire social structures around these assumed ideas and like these untouchable subjects which is part of what made Playing, not playing by the rules is what made someone like Jesus dangerous or Gandhi mm -hmm. where they're like, no, don't do that. Or, or you know, in Gandhi's instance, we'll break your, your collarbones and stuff. Yeah. And they were like... They were like or like the WikiLeaks dude, right? Yeah. We're going to charge you with uh, having sex without a condom because yeah. you told all our secrets. Yeah. Well, but like in the case of, for me, uh, being so familiar with the story, in the case of Jesus, the Roman power structure and the Roman world and the Jewish world are built up on these intense power structures uh -huh. and Jesus came through and stopped grabbing that thing and, and defending it in, in ways yeah. and I just said like to them to said to these guys and, and that's why it was incredibly dangerous he said like well that's fine you know they threatened to do all kinds of things they ultimately did kill him yeah. but he said that's fine you can kill me this like this body's not mine, yeah. and this is not my thing. Uh, it's, I try to support those ideas, even in modern day, like just dealing with public authority. Yeah. Or, for instance, this summer uh, I had a cop try to get my ID because I was photographing some graffiti, yeah. and I asked her. I was like, "Do I have the right to tell you no? That I don't. I'm not doing anything yeah. wrong just because you have this perceived authority over me. Do I really need to follow that?" And she was like, "Well, no." I was like, well, then I'm not going to show you my ID. Yeah. Leave me alone. Right? right? So, like, I got that little bit of power back, yeah. you know? And there, there's something really important, I think, and it comes from creative people almost mm -hmm. all the time of saying, all right, I'm not going to buy this line yeah. that you're feeding me. And, it's and I, don't have to do, I don't have to live this life yeah. the way that you say. It gets scary to the status quo, you know? Yeah. And I think about uh, that's, that's part of the thing. Jesus scared the Romans, and he scared the, the Jewish religious power structure as well because he stopped following the rules that, that were keeping everyone in place. The Romans were scared because they were like, we have an empire to defend. Yeah. And he just was blatantly telling them, I don't really care about your empire. And yeah. then people tried to, they tried to get him in prison by the Romans by saying something bad against taxes to Caesar. And he was like, give the money to Caesar. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, like he literally said, it has his face on it. Give it and to that's him. All, like he that's made all it. that Eastern philosophy yeah. coming through. But right? then it gets, that gets scary to people, and you can see it in our everyday lives now. And we, in some ways, embody that in the artistic. My worldview is such, and I don't have, like, it's interesting, like what you're saying, being on a journey. 
your thoughts about things get informed by other things and end up changing and whatever. I'm on that same journey, and so I try to not make, and everyone is, yeah. is on this yeah. progression of we will go in a certain like path over a lifetime, and we don't necessarily know where that's going to end up yeah. right now. And so I try to make not like real hard statements about everything that I believe or think is right, because I'm also open to the fact that I might be totally wrong. And that's, you know? that's, that's that level, right? That yeah. consciousness level raising from like, I know how this whole thing works, like, oh shit, I don't know about anything. Yeah. And that's kind of what, like, uh, that's the concept that I'm most thankful for that my, my parents or my structure instilled in me when I was younger is just the realization that I might be wrong and that I might not be the pinnacle of, like, the <laughs> yeah. judge of all rightness in the world. You know? That's how this podcast has been working. Yeah. Like, I've told stories on this podcast that I typically wouldn't have normally told to. Yeah. The general public, just yeah. you know, like my, my co close friends, and at at one point I was like, "Well, fuck it, let's just be honest." Yeah. You know, I don't have anything to be ashamed of. I'm not ashamed of the the things that I do or the stories yeah. that I tell, even though, like, say, ha telling the story about eating mushrooms, like, I'm not gonna go tell my whole family at Thanksgiving dinner that yeah. I went and ate a shitload of mushrooms and yeah. went wild, right? You know, but at some point it's like well why would i not tell them that yeah. you know and that's something i like is we can get past those social contracts by by digging a little bit deeper and i think artists do it in many different ways but it's something that like we have the ability to do which is cool like yeah. you can touch nerves with some of your work and you can make people think and ideally songs cross into that yeah and at some juncture of all the things, we've increased, increased the cause of, of uh, humanity, maybe. Or yeah. we've at least maybe, helped. Maybe, maybe we're making shifts, right? Like, yeah. it, I don't know if it's our generation or if it's just that our generation is getting to that certain age where we start to make these mental shifts or if it maybe is a, a, like a conscious shifting yeah. thing maybe, that's happening. Or maybe we've at least helped the like trudging through <clears throat> the swamp of having to live a little bit better. Yeah. And that's something that is nice. So I've been getting into a lot of uh, Eastern philosophy. We've, we've yeah. touched on the topic here. What connected me was, was noticing uh, the similarities in, in Buddhist philosophy to physics um, in, in terms of the nature of the world and human experience even. And I've been trying to, to utilize some of those things in my day-to-day -day lifestyles, right? Like, for instance, I have, a, I have aggression problems to where, like, I get really frustrated or, or I'll get some sort of anxious type feeling and I, uh, I express that in, like, aggressive, like, mean, kind of dickish type of behavior. And when I start going into those phases, I try to kind of think back to some of these like Buddhist philosophies that I've taught about, about, you know, uh, and a lot, I've learned a lot from Mike Giant, just having these types of conversations yeah. that we've had on occasion. And it's almost like talking about that thing about how we never want to be wrong. So if something is happening bad in our day, we, we're, we're quick to blame the people in traffic, we're quick to blame our spouse or our boss, but really it's, it's internal, right? And it, it, there's these things that are, that are festering inside of us that are expressing themselves or, or presenting our, turning our life into like this misery or this, this pain and suffering. And I think that there's the beauty in Buddhism is, is teaching you how to 
understand that suffering and, and not only just understand it, yeah. but learn to work through it, yeah. right? And it, it, there's something in Buddhism particularly that gives really straightforward ideas and, and problem-solving techniques for day-to-day -day life, which I, I, I mentioned talking about Christianity and, and ancient philosophies that it's still that same story, but in ancient days, information and sort of intelligence had to be hidden, and it got put into allegory and metaphor so that the people who were supposed to understand it did by knowing that it's not a well, literal I interpretation. About, something I think about a lot of times, if, if there is this, this uh, higher force and uh, something beyond what you can observe with your, your tactile senses, and you have a higher understanding of it, how do you then communicate that to a guy who works in a field? You know, like that's something I see a lot. You, you look like, like in the Bible, then uh, almost everything is, is agricultural metaphors. Uh -huh. yeah, because right. Jesus is then talking to these guys who work in fields mm -hmm. or fish. And so everything becomes about like, how do you, uh, for instance, like, scientists who who are on this greater plane of intelligence of you hear some of these physicists talk and they're thinking on a level that makes like smoke come out of my ears you know <laughs> yeah, like right. i respect it yeah, yeah. but then they're also saying in many ways i have no idea what the fuck's going on you know or yeah, yeah. or they're trying to like put it in in kind of ways that we can we can interpret even in the way that like they have to color the Hubble telescope images so that we'll like see them in a way that we can wrap our brains around yeah. like oh that chemical is this other color when really it's not An easy it goes, yeah it goes back into that like perception of reality thing we see these beautiful nebula pictures and that was all colored like gone with the wind you know like by hand after and Buddhism says it they yeah. say this is all it's all an illusion yeah. It's not real. Yeah, an interesting thing about... Uh, Which physics says the same thing. Yeah. Well, the way that like we, we keep talking about this, this overlapping, cross-phasing cross things, and like I think about it, uh, we've talked about it in terms, and because we do like think in a linear way, of like, oh, that sounds like Eastern philosophy. <laughs> yeah. Whereas really it's like Eastern philosophy wasn't the originator of the idea. The way that I think of it is if, if higher... Once you get into a point of, of trying to not use any cultural terms to describe it, you don't even know what to say. Like higher energy. Where we fuck uh, everything up with words. Yeah. Some, if if there's some, uh, something beyond our natural understanding that is like a force greater than what we can do with our hands and mm -hmm. whatnot, then I think of it as, as this tapestry, right? And threads of that run through so many aspects of what we can see with our, with our eyes and feel with our hands and whatnot. And so you see it like, wow, if the more you study about the world, the more people you talk to, the more things that you see, you then see this thread going through of like, I see this here and I see this there. Mm -hmm. And you see something that a really high thinker articulated, you see it walking in the woods, <laughs> yeah, right. you know? And like no one said it, but you like see it there. Yeah, exactly. Means. And that's a weird thing, and, and so I think of it as like these threads of, of truth, because like I, I believe that there are like higher standards of, of truth that are beyond like a cultural relativist perspective. And so you see these things going through, 
And a way that a, a thinker that I really enjoy, C.S. Lewis, put it, he was talking about the pitfalls of theology, or why it even exists, or whatever, and, and the people who say, well, I just know God. I don't need theology, right? He was, he was saying that it's, it's like being a cartographer, like a map maker, or being a sailor. And he was like, you know, you can make maps and map the entire ocean and won't be able to sail worth shit. <laughs> or you can be, you can say, I've been out in a storm and I know the power of the ocean, yeah. but you can't read a map. And so there's these different things of like, sometimes you feel some of these strands when, like I love being out in nature. Yeah. And sometimes you feel it when you're seeing this thing, you're like, something is happening, some like, I'm feeling something that I can't define. Like deja vu, you think, maybe? Or, not even necessarily like that, but it's like, well, cause that's a it's reason. some that's resonance, like a, you know? There is a feeling to that. And maybe that's yeah. a, that thing. Like, but you hear it sometimes then in philosophy or whatever, and you think like, oh, that's that same thing I felt. But maybe this guy articulates it better than I yeah, ever yeah. could. I think about the songwriting. I'll hear people whose songs I love, and I'll go, oh, man, that guy articulates that thing that I felt for so long, but I could never put it in those words. Well, that's like... Um Steinbeck said about Woody Guthrie, about um, the Grapes of Wrath, yeah. that Woody Guthrie was able to tell what took him 300 pages yeah. only took Woody Guthrie three minutes totally. to tell uh, the story and told it even better. Yeah. And that's what's cool with inspiration of like, same thing will happen like with your work or whatever, I'll be like, oh yeah, that hits a feeling, that painting hits a feeling that like, I relate to. Mm -hmm but I can never paint that painting, yeah. but I'm happy that it exists. Yeah. And then you think of, of a thing of like, that's part of what's cool that we've ended up meeting each other through the arts or whatever. But you think about the thing, you kind of, you hear certain music or whatever, and even if it's not your favorite style, but you go like, that somewhere hits on some feeling that I get too, yeah. you know? It's I have songs that there's, there's certain frequencies and certain patterns that I could find it in every genre of music yeah. that like, is like my my tag, right? Or like my my connection to the sound. Yeah. Like there's and there's no explaining it. I have no sort of reasoning why I would like a particular melody, a particular like drum pattern, yeah. but I keep finding it. And yeah. I find it over and over again with just these subtle variations. Yeah. yeah. And that's like that's kind of what I see in some of those philosophies. Yeah. My thing about the religion and wars and stuff too, it's like the founding fathers did that all the time they were saying God all the time in their stuff, and they weren't really talking about God. They were, they were saying that because they knew that that's what the people like, yeah. wanted to hear. Yeah. Like, yeah, most of the founding fathers were not, like people say, well, this is like a Christian nation, whatever. They weren't even Christians, really. Yeah. Uh, ben Franklin was a really famous humanist, you know? Yeah. But he would say God all the time, because yeah. that's what like, the people understood. Well, you you know, know? He wanted our bird to be the turkey. Mm. He thought that the first uh, seal was a turkey uh -huh. because a turkey is like this kind, gentle creature. Yeah, interesting. A concept that you hear thrown around a lot, especially in like modern American culture or in more like what you we would coin as liberal circles, and which is like circles that, that I would think we really hang out in, um, is the fact that religion is responsible for the majority of suffering and death and war in the world. I. I totally understand where where people are coming from with that viewpoint, but I think it's taking it on a too too surface of a level of just looking at the front of a conflict or the front of a thing and 
uh, people have used religion as a justification for and an excuse in defense of war quite a bit, but it seems that mankind is just as capable of being atrocious and tyrannical on their own without having to use God as an excuse for it. Um, especially considering that a lot of the revolutions that have happened, you talk about Tale of Two Cities, dealing with the French Revolution, that's what the revolutionaries were coming against uh, along with other things like, like class struggle and as well. They're coming against this religious structure trying to have a, a humanist based rebirth of a nation and, and ended up degrading into incredible violence. Do you think that um, maybe that perception just comes from the fact that religions as they become these structured things become that oppressive yeah. culture? Well I think everything does like with that worldview of my particular worldview of, of flawed humanity every organization is a collection of individuals and humans and so organizations by default will then display and mirror the shortcomings and flaws of the people they're made up of. So <clears throat> the church, for sure, ha as an institution, when if you look at it as like a unified group, has done horrible yeah. things. And I think that and I think done my good point things. is that yeah. that's, I think, how people, because we're so quick to And governments have as well, yeah. yeah. But then you look at, like, because every individual person in that organization has probably also done horrible things and done good things. Yeah, because we could go back to to pre-religious day. I mean, we've always seemed to have some sort of religion with yeah. us. But, I mean, we'll go look at two monkey tribes. Yeah. A, a monkey tribe will just jack another one Absolutely. and kill all the babies, yeah. right? So is is there something to that that is yeah. just inherent in our nature to to fight for resources? And it raises a lot of, a lot of, a lot of questions in my mind, you know, about just kind of the the deep seated things of, of humanity, you know, because those, those themes seem to repeat whether you've got a religious whitewash over it or not. And uh, the duality of man is something that I think even ancient man was more okay with yeah. than we are today. Given these, these new sort of perceptions of reality and ideas about religion and sort of what the human experience is like, it's kind of taken a level of stress off of me. Like there's a, a, you know, it feels like a little bit of a, a lift off my shoulders because as an atheist, you have to have these beliefs just the same way that you do as a, say, conservative right-wing Christian. You have to believe that there's no God. You have to believe that there's no heaven. You have to believe that this is it, we die. And you come up with all these new ideas that or old ideas, whatever, that ha become what life is. And having the ability to, to step back and, and understand that I don't know what this life is, I, I, I don't know if there's a God, I don't know what happens when we die, I barely know what happens, we don't know what happens when we go to sleep, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't know. And, and there's comfort in that sometimes because we're with science explaining everything. We kind of want to know everything. And there, they, I, I said it before that ignorance is bliss. And there's something about not really understanding everything and not having to 
have everything be in its set little place. Like understanding that this earth could shift a minute amount and everything could be different. So I think, I think the, the, what I've gained most is that, that lightness in my shoulders, really. Having a set of beliefs that you have to defend is like having the super hot girlfriend at the bar of all single dudes that you have to like protect, you know? It's a, that might be a good analogy. It's that, that you, yeah, it's like you have to work to be happy and to like have this, uh, have your perfect little world. But to, to not be concerned about that or to not even have to focus mental energies on that allows uh, more space for more open-minded sort of thinking. I think it's made me smarter. But I still, I, I'm still apprehensive and still just as quick to start an argument as a perceived atheist, right? Just because I'm, I play devil's advocate so much. All right, so um, are you rolling? Uh, Let's, um, let's promote some of your stuff. So you got a website that people can find? Yeah, thesilentcomedy.com. And it exists now, and it's going to be going through a lot of drastic changes in the next couple months. It's going to be getting a lot better. New content? And so, yeah, tons of new content, but also a totally different framework. Okay. So right now, it's like a hodgepodge. We've been really busy, and a lot of stuff has fallen through the cracks. So in the next several months, everything's going to be getting better, easier to find out what we're doing, yeah. easier to find out where we'll be playing all that kind of stuff. But we have a merchandise store on there that is really cool because we've only recently been able to have people participate in that way who don't live here or go to a show. Yeah. And we've got big tours coming up in 2011. The, we leave on one in February that may get extended now. We may not come home until May or so, uh, or we may just keep going. So yeah. Yeah, a lot of stuff's changing and it's cool yeah. and exciting and uh, also a little scary. But thesilentcomedy.com is the best way for people to follow that. And uh, they can find your Facebook and your Twitter yeah. and all that. All yeah, right? it connects to the Facebook and the Twitter all through that thing. And um, we do fun stuff for each one. Each one's a little different experience, you know. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for doing the show. Thanks. Appreciate it. Cut. Cut. <laughs>